You're listening to American Citizens, a Manchester City podcast by American journalists. Sterling. Tight, but he keeps it in, and De Bruyne is there! And it is dead level now. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! And now here's your hosts, Josh Webb and Gray Papke. Hello and welcome to a special edition of American Citizens. This is the Leroy Sané special because, well, as we record this, he is by all accounts in Manchester. He was apparently at CFA today, which is Monday, and probably... Either by the time you hear this, he'll be close to being announced or already announced. So, we wanted to get our two cents in before everyone else does. So, I'm with Josh, and we're going to talk about Leroy Sané. Sounds like it's done, so what's your initial reaction to this? Um, I mean, my initial reaction is, Cool. Finally, it's done. I had every, mostly because I've already had every other reaction available to me due to the life force of this story as it's been reported. I don't know if there is a City fan left either here in the States or across the pond that has enough shits left to give about Stones and Sané until a piece of paper is being signed in a photo, being tweeted with Manchester City would like to announce the signing of... Did I lose you? No. I I thought I lost you. (laughs) No, 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 no. I was just, just ending it there. Manchester. Oh, I got it. The signing of dot dot dot. Got it. Got it. I don't. I don't think City fans have have any craps left to give on the matter until such a time as those words are tweeted. Yeah, that's probably about right. We've known about this for months, and it literally has been months. So you know, I. I feel like we're kind of the formality, well, formality is a big word to use, but it's sort of like we're going through the motion. So it's, I'm, I'm going to allow myself to talk about Leroy Sané, the Manchester City player. Again, as I say this, it's not confirmed yet, so we might end up looking stupid, whatever, but I, I think we're safe enough in saying that this is going to be a thing. So I'm kind of, for the first time, allowing myself to think of, okay, so this is actually happening. I didn't really doubt that it would, but there's just 
it, it's been such a back and forth between, I'm loath to even call it a saga, because if it's a saga, there has to be a bit of drama involved. It never really felt like he was going anywhere else. It never quite felt like it was in any danger of not getting done. It was just dragging. And we've had the discussion why on other podcasts they don't want to be taken advantage of. But, you know what, I'm just, I think the word that I would use is just sort of a sense of relief. Not that we got him, because I don't think that was ever in a turn of doubt, but that this is over and we can sort of think about the footballing aspect of it now. Yeah, you can definitely start looking at the footballing aspect of this, and it is exciting. But I do have some questions as to what City plans to do with all of these wingers. Because, I mean, until further notice, especially with news of the new contract having been uh, signed by City, uh, Aguero is the centerpiece of of Manchester City's uh, goal-scoring apex, if you will. And that likely means that in some capacity Ianacho is 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 going to see the field but not likely or necessarily in a striker capacity at all times i do think there is a significant and increasing possibility that we will see nacho used much like he's used for the Super Eagles, and he mentions that he's he's played out wide there. Uh, we know he's not going to play as a second striker in behind Aguero because we've said time and time and time and time again, and just about anybody with a brain or a pulse uh, agrees with the fact that the only person who should be playing in behind Aguero this point forward as a number 10 is Kevin De Bruyne. So uh, the, the experiments that they've had with Nacho at that number 10, I wouldn't call them failures by any stretch. I, I've certainly seen worse. Uh, Bonnie hasn't worked out as a number anything. Uh, um, <clears throat> but... Um, I could certainly see Nacho pushing his way onto the field in some capacity uh, uh, by by coming in out wide. And then you also have Patrick Roberts, who really, with each passing moment at Celtic, is making me wonder why Manchester City let that guy go out on loan for as long as they did. Um I, I see no reason why Patrick Roberts couldn't be competing for time in, in this Manchester City side. Uh, but I will concede the point that, that that he will get a lot of first-team football under Brendan Rodgers. Uh, I just don't think that Brendan Rodgers ultimately has anything to do with Guardiola in the way that he's going to be used. So... Uh, I, I don't know how serviceable of a loan that is in terms of, of Patrick Roberts' development, but I say that in the same breath as I watch highlights of him and think to myself, 
he's not really being stunted. So maybe Patrick Roberts is just Brendan Rodgers' truth, and we'll all just hope that that's the case. So now you've got Sané. Now you've got Sterling. Now you've got Nacho. Uh, am, am I missing someone? You, you've got Patrick Roberts. Uh, uh, in terms of in terms of young wingers, are we? Is that what? We're, yeah, way wingers. Yeah. That 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 city yeah. have you have Nolito, but I guess he could be used as a number. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to use Nolito as. But you have all of these guys in theory who can play on the wing, and there are only two wing spots. So this is what I think. In theory. I do not think that one of Patrick Roberts, Raheem Sterling, Leroy Sané, or Kelechi Iannaccio will be with the club in a couple years' time. I think that expectations, personal ambition for these players, and career trajectories suggest that it's going to be awfully hard to find them playing time at their natural position since everybody is going to be competing for that spot. So it stands to reason that I think, you know, Herbert Spencer's survival of the fittest will take over here. Screw you, Darwin. That is not your model. Um I, I think the survival of the fittest will take over here, and, and I think that it'll be a process of, of whichever one excels under Guardiola. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I still view Ihanacho as sort of not a straight number nine, but I think that his future is basically Aguero's heir apparent. Um, I think so, too, but you've got to find playing time for him in the meantime, and he's made yeah. it a point. In, in in several interviews, really, to mention the fact that he can play out wide rather easily, as if to say, I realize that if Aguero's signing a major deal, I've got to get in where I can fit in. And, hey, guess what, guys? I can play out wide. So, if nothing else, he's tossing his name in that hat. Yeah. I think what we're going to see within a year or two, possibly sooner, and that sort of leads into the next point, there's going to be a call at some point because Navas does not have a future beyond this season. I'm starting to think that Nasri does not either, and Silva is 30. He's not going to be around forever. So I think what you're looking at is eventually if this is – I think Robert ends up with the first team next year, one way or another. Um, and I can see a lot of fluidity coming because I think that Guardiola is going to experiment with what he has. Can I put Sané at strike? And I'm not saying that any of this is a good idea or a bad idea or just things that I could see being experimented with. Can I put... Sane at striker? Can I put Sane as a number 10? Can I put Sterling uh, playing off with Sterling? You know, what, are, what are these guys capable of? What can they be good at? What are they not good at? And I think that once he figures that out, he'll have a cleaner idea of what, you know, who they, who's really in the long-term plans. 
I think that Sana is pretty firmly in those plans. You don't spend this much money, I would say, on a player in the in his first summer here without him thinking, all right, this is something that I want to work with. So I'm not quite, you know, and I will bring up what his role this season will be. I don't think he's a starter yet, but I don't definitely think that he's going to get game time because, again, you don't spend that much money on someone and just sit them on the bench. So I think that there's going to be a lot of experimenting, a lot of tinkering, and a lot of what are these guys capable of, what are they not capable of, and then we're going to find out, you know, who's up to the standard. I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's fair to say that a lot of these guys are going to be sort of spread out and used as pieces of a larger machine rather than each one of them expecting to come good immediately. And I think that that will help in the development of each of them. But I think that my underlying point here is this. If one assumes that Guardiola is the best at getting the talent out of the players he signs, particularly those who are younger, then we assume that through some sort of method of, you know, mixing up their games, not overloading them, not giving them too much at once, restoring the confidence of a guy like Raheem Sterling versus keeping Sané on the track that he's on because he's no worse for where after the Euros Raheem probably is. Also, while making Iheanacho feel like the only time he's going to see action is when Aguero is injured or every fifth game, I I think that there is, and as you said, Patrick Roberts is going to come back from loan next year. And and I think that, honestly, I, I, I think that he's going to force his way into the starting 11. I truly do. I think that kid is the real deal. Um, how or what that eventually means for somebody else, I don't know. But I've seen more out of Patrick Roberts just in terms of raw talent than I think I've seen out of Raheem Sterling uh, in his entire time at Manchester City. No, that's not to say I'm on the crap on Raheem Sterling bandwagon. I've, I've been pretty supportive of him on this podcast. I just think that someone somewhere is going to get lost in the shuffle because if all of these players are coming good at once, there's still the matter of we only have enough positions for so many of these wingers, and one of them is going to want to seek more first-team football elsewhere. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. And I think, well, I mean, obviously – this is going another sort of unknown known is that Guardiola is going to have to find a way to adapt to a four competition season without a winter break that he's never had to put up with before. So we'll see. And I think that it would be ignorant of us to sort of talk about players in terms of, well, I think Guardiola sees him as a number seven or a number 10 or, you know, whatever. And I think that there's going to be so much fluidity in it and that there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching. 
so I think ultimately Sane is definitely a long-term investment. I don't think they're buying him and then with the plan of, well, maybe after two years he won't make it and we'll sell him on. I think this is a serious buy. Um, and I think that Raheem Sterling has a lot of proving to do, and I think he's capable of it. I don't want to say that he's not, because I we've both been pretty defensive of him, and I think that we both think that he has a lot more to offer than we've seen from him, and that he can be of the standard to help the football club. And I think that there's no doubt about that from either of us. So I think that what we're looking at here is what 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 happens next year? Because I don't think Nazri will be around, and I don't think Navas will be around. And so after that, you're suddenly looking at, in the attacking midfield department, things are going to get a bit thinner. And, of course, they could bring someone else in. Who knows? But I think next summer there's going to be some decisions to make about who you're committing to and who you're sort of, well, it's now or never. I never so factored Nasri into that equation because yeah, I, don't I don't think he's a winger anyways. I think that right. these are, these are, we are going to see, see, the difference between Pellegrini and Guardiola is that Pellegrini was playing midfielders and then having them push up as a winger. Like, the only true winger on that team at that time was Jesus Navas until Raheem Sterling got brought in. And then I'm convinced he was put on the left because Dodd Silva is not a winger, nor is Sammy Nasri. So, naturally, he's not going to displace God's child. Uh, over there on the right-hand side, so he moves Raheem Sterling over to the left, where, which, to be fair, he's played quite a bit at, and I think he has set his, his preferred position over there on the left-hand side. Uh, I don't necessarily think that his preferred position is what's best for him. I still think he's a, a, a right-winger, Although there's something to be said for what Patrick Roberts does, which was very similar to Arjen Robin. Uh, and, and my God, if he doesn't love to cut that thing in and put it on his left foot like Robin does. And I think that when you see that in action and you see or read about how Guardiola cultivated that aspect of Robin's game at Bayern and really uh, tried to bring out the best of him with regard to his ability to, you know, he doesn't just want those guys taking it up. He wants them to use the width of the penalty box. It gives the defense more to worry about. And I, I, I think that Guardiola for all intents and purposes, is going to use wingers as wingers, where Pellegrini, uh, I think, as we've talked about with a number of different guys uh, in the club, most notably probably Yaya Toure, has always tried to fit square pegs into a round hole and then wondered why the system wasn't working. I would mention, by the way, while we're having this conversation, another name that we haven't even said yet, and that's Gabriel Jesus, who looks like he's coming who also fits into that whole sort of 
Yeah, but I think Rager. he's going to be an out and out. Like, yeah. I, I truly well, think I've seen he's going to be. Some, I've seen some people in Brazil who think he would be better out wide. So I'm just going to throw that out there because I, it's worth, I think, throwing up in the air, even if it's, you know, you can bat it right down. But I think that you can throw out the fact that he's sort of another guy who's capable of being that sort of half-striker, half-attacking midfield hybrid. So that's another thing to factor in going forward, I think, and it's worth tossing out there. No, I definitely think it is. And then you've got to worry about the Moreno issue, you know, depending on how fast some of these guys come good. Guardiola is not averse. You know, we write these things off and say guys like, oh, Tosin is probably going to go on loan and this and that and the other. The simple truth of the matter is we don't know. If Guardiola thinks one of these kids at 18 or 17 or whatever the case may be has the ability to make it over the course of the season and provide contribution in an area that would prevent him from having to dip into an over overly inflated transfer market, I don't think Guardiola is going to have a second thought about it, especially if, and and I'm just using Tosin as an example here, if you look at him, what has he done besides give everybody encouragement that this kid can handle what's being thrown at him? Lost in all of this is the fact that, and I think that this comes back to how City are talked about in the media You know, United get hammered by Dortmund, and and it's no big deal. You know, uh, uh, the result of the game is immaterial. Uh, United are still a work in progress, blah, 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 blah. City win the game, and Pep has work to do. What the... Like... I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that like Dortmund's fourth preseason game already? I think it might have been more than their fourth. I mean, it was, they have played several fourths. So a piecemeal city team that had really just been together for one day, really, uh, uh, as currently constructed, uh, basically, put the waxing down on a Dortmund team, because at no point in there up until Pulisic's, and I knew that that was coming too. With how much space he was being given, I just looked at my television and I said, this is going to be a goal. This is going to be a I just, I knew it, and it was. And sure enough, uh, Pulisic delivered, because why wouldn't he? Uh, that gives the American media something to fawn all over. Um, but up until that point, I mean, there had been opportunities in that game for Dortmund. I'm not going to say they've been shut out, but I don't really feel like City were in serious trouble in that game. I mean, it was, it was, it was a game of football. It was back and forth. But City looked no worse for wear in that game. And because there were one or two things that went awry, Bonnie being Bonnie, Jesus Navas being Jesus Navas, 
Caballero's wonderful blunder after wonderful blunder. Uh, you know, it, the whole performance got taken, stretched out into Guardiola has all this work to do. I don't know if I came across, I don't know if I came away feeling the exact same way. I will concede that there is still stuff to do, but City did not look anywhere close to as bad as United did when they were getting pasted by Dortmund. And I'm not just saying that because it's United. I mean, I'm not not saying it because it's United. It's fun to bring up because it's United. But when you look at what in theory are two somewhat similar clubs in that both of them are bringing in fundamentally world-class managers expected to produce nothing but Champions League uh, and, 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 and league crowns, you assume that, that these gentlemen are expected to, as Caldeen put it, hit the ground running. Well, one of those clubs looks like they're closer to doing it than the other, and it's the one wearing blue, not red. Right. I agree with that. And I think that I know there were, you know, there was a lot to do. I mean, there is. I mean, don't get us wrong. There's work to do. But they're building, I think, from a pretty high floor is what the, is what the, my, my impression of it would be. So, Let's now that we've looked at the short term or the excuse me the long term implications of this. What kind of role do you see Leroy Sané having on this team in 2016, 2017? Ah, uh, um, I'm not sure. I mean, that's a good answer, actually. Yeah. I mean, you're, you, the initial thought process is that he's going to be used on the right side in some capacity. Um, but he also could function as a guy who can play up top if you're, per, you know, maybe uh, playing Accrington Stanley or someone in, 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 in the FA Cup or, or whatever the case may be. If, if you've got an easy cup tie, this is a guy who can play in multiple different positions and you can give him those looks. Uh, as a point of order, though, I have to think, and maybe I'm crazy, but do you feel like Leroy Sané is going to be given the chances that probably would have gone to Raheem Sterling until Raheem Sterling gets his confidence back? I feel like Sané is going to be there on the left-hand side. I don't know. I think that, you know, and I think more than any player on the team, Sterling kind of needs to be someone to get in his head and and put him on the straight and narrow. Not that he's done anything terribly wrong, but he, he needs he needs to be he needs a little bit of guidance. And I think that if Sane can hit the ground running, I think that with Guardiola, if you're playing well you'll earn playtime. So I think that he'll get his chances and if he takes them I think that he will get more chances. And it makes me think a little bit of um 
when Byron brought in Kingsley Coleman last year and on a roster that already had Ribery and Robin and Douglas Costa was in there and, you know, everyone else and everyone's like, well, what are you going to do with that? Coleman played. He played a lot. So I'm not saying that he's going to be the second coming of Kingsley Coleman, but at the same time, I think that he'll find opportunities on both wings and maybe even as an emergency forward to play where needed. I think that's not going to be a huge problem. I don't necessarily think it'll be a huge problem. I just think it will be telling maybe about how Pep sees Raheem Sterling, both in terms of what he can provide to the club long-term and where he thinks he's at in terms of his mental development. Because I think Sterling's at, I don't want to say a critical juncture, but I do think he is at a critical juncture. This is sort of the time where guys tend to go left or guys tend to go right. Um, that that age of 22, 23, you, you look at Hamas, you look at Pogba, you look at all these guys of when they made their career-defining decisions and the sort of things that, that, that went in with it, they all pushed it at about that age. And I don't know if Sterling ever recovers from the way that he was painted in the media following his move from Liverpool, particularly because the media is run by so many Liverpudlians. Uh, They just are given carte blanche to, to let their ass just flap, flap, flap in the wind on air. And and I don't know to what extent that has affected Raheem and his ability to get going. And we've not seen much of him. Uh, we've also not really heard much about him other than Guardiola which, you know, in, in as we say, you know, basic coach speak of a guy who was very clearly trying to build his confidence. I mean, that was pretty plain to see that that's what was going on there. I don't know how much Guardiola believes that Sterling is important. I think that Guardiola wants to think that Sterling can be important and that based on what he has seen from him in the past, that he has the talent to be that. But I think the jury is out on whether or not this kid is going to be one that let his ego not necessarily in the way that Liverpool fans state it. I would tend to think that this kid doesn't think enough of himself, uh, which sort of cracks me up about what people say in the media about him being, you know, egotistical and all about him. I don't think this kid has any confidence whatsoever. Uh, so I'll be very curious. Where do you think he's at? Do you think I'm overreacting, 
Or do you think that this kid would struggle to, I, I don't know, uh, to, 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 to even have limited success with his confidence currently where it's at? I think that he seemed like such a good kid is the first point that I'd like to make, and it's kind of, and it is a shame what's gone on around him. But I think that I don't think that he's like on the chopping block if he doesn't do anything this year. I think that there has to be progress, and I not I'm going to leave it to others to figure out how much progress. I'm not expecting him to turn into the world class player overnight, but. You know, he's going to have to get chances, and if he doesn't take them, you know, you start to fear for his progress. And I, like I said, I think that there has to be progress. I don't think he's in, like, serious danger of being shoved to the outdoor at this point. I think if he has another season where people are left underwhelmed and they don't see much from him, then you get to the point where you think, well, maybe not sold, but it's time put up or shut up, let's see what you got. So I think that he will get every chance to do something with the chance he's getting because he's Yeah, I just think that this is that year, meaning like that that's that's sort of what I meant about his ego is that this is that critical juncture. If he doesn't recover from whatever the yips whatever yips he has at the end of this year I think serious conversations begin to start and you start hearing the term bust. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that he needs to take to heart what Guardiola said, that every player is basically going to get a clean slate. Whether you believe that or not is irrelevant. He has to believe it, and he just has to say, all right, here I am, I'm good, I have a chance to impress the best manager in the world, and he's going to make me better if I show that I can and willing to, you know, absorb and learn and improve. I think that's what, you know, it's simple. It's not. I read simple, something outstanding last night, not to cut you off, but I was sort of going through, like, 442's top managers. And BCW, I don't necessarily have a problem with, with them listing um, – uh, Simeone at number one. Spoiler alert if you were working on it. Uh, Simeone is number one. Guardiola is at number two. Uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with with Simeone being where he's at. Um, but I think one of the things that I read about both those men um, just just really stuck with me. I want to I want to read you this quote here uh, 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 by uh, uh, the 1978 World Cup winning coach, uh, Cesar Minotti. He basically said that the first rule of a manager is to find players who represent his ideas. Then players are the ones who go and defend those ideas. Simeone's greatest gift was to create an elite troop with guys that had worked in the kitchen. And they are now the soldiers who defend a manifesto with one word, winning. And and I think that with Guardiola, a similar comparison was made in that 
when Guardiola came in, there was a lot of consternation over how Guardiola was going to deal with the aging and deteriorating conditions of, let's face it, dude, Aryan Robin, if you breathe on him, the dude's going to be out for six to eight weeks. Like, I love Robin and hate Robin as a Dutchman, but I don't know that you could rely on him for anything other than an injury. And uh, when you look at the situation that Bayern had before Pep came in, it was this team are going to need, like, he, he obviously inherited a super talented squad from the Pinkies, but he also inherited a squad that had probably won the trouble in the last year that that team was capable of uh, to winning anything. They were so damn old. And Guardiola turned over a squad to Ancelotti that is flipping ripped with young talent. I mean, Douglas Costa came on to Bayern and just, I mean, he put on his shit kickers and just rolled through his competition. And Ribery went from being a guy that Byron couldn't live without to a guy that, frankly, I don't think they care if he ever comes back. Like, <laughs> nor honestly should they. Douglas Costa's that good. And the same thing, like, the point you mentioned with Kingsley Coman. Like, if Raheem Sterling cannot get better under Guardiola, if he cannot improve his confidence by even Christmas of this year, dude's got to go. That's fair. I'm a little bit less harsh. I mean, not that you're being harsh, but I think that Sterling needs a lot of tender love and care. Let me put it that way. And I hope that he that it starts to work sooner rather than later because it's only going to get worse if he doesn't produce. You know that. I mean, it's already bad for him. If he starts, you know, if the club level form doesn't improve, it's only getting worse as far as the circus goes. And that's all there is to it. So, um, do what do we think this means for the squad? Is there going to be an outgoing? Is there going to be you know, a corresponding anything. I know I mentioned this the other day, and we had this discussion, so I don't really feel the need to have it again, but I'm starting to think that Jesus Navas might be out the door. I don't think so. I still think that Navas slots in as a tactical option as a wingback. And I realize that they may not be something that Navas is overly thrilled with, but I think if you look at what Wingbacks have done under Guardiola, they tend to be really important pieces in his puzzle. Like, again, Rafinha was a guy that when, when you talk about the most important players to Bayern, if you were handed the casual fan a list of uh, Bayern's roster and said, okay, 
Tell me, to the midway point of Guardiola's first season at Bayern, who his most valuable player is going to be. I don't, I don't think one person would have landed on Rafinha. Yet, that's exactly what ended up happening. And, and I think that if given the opportunity, Jesus Navas could reinvent himself because I can tell you this much. He is not a winger. Like, I don't care if it's in the title. The only thing he can do is run fast. That's it. That is, in terms of his ability to play winger, that is his single best quality. Now, as a footballer, that's a different discussion. Jesus Navas is is brilliant when it comes to tactics. I think that he oftentimes goes out of his way to cover up for mistakes of the younger players that could turn into much more disastrous situations had it not been for the quick thinking of Navas. And if Guardiola is able to... Instead of having teams primarily focus on him as the lone guy who's supposed to fire the ball into the box, if Guardiola just turns him into an attacking option who understands tactics better than anyone presently playing the fullback position, and I include Clichy in that. I, I truly think Novice is probably better tactically than Clichy, though it may be close. He's certainly light years uh, ahead of of, uh, uh, of Kolarov. Um, in fact, I'm sure my creative player on FIFA is light years ahead of Kolarov. <laughs> but, but I do think, and I say this with honest sincerity, that there could be a reinvention for Jesus Navas at, he's on the wrong side of 30, but everybody knows that fullbacks can have an extended lifespan. Especially guys who've not been defenders their whole lives and thus has not had a body put through, you know, if you're a converted defender like, or if you're converted into a defender like Navas would be, there then is still a lot of miles left on those legs, I think. That's fair. but And you you don't need to convince me of uh, Navas' usefulness as a wingback because I think we agree on that. But I think this comes down to a basic numbers game. There are 23 players on the first team squad right now. Sané will be 24. John Stones, if they sign him, will be 25. Someone's got to go. And I don't think that even if they keep Navas, I don't think they're going to renew his contract. So you could say, well, Mangala probably goes, particularly if Stones comes in, yeah. Wilfred Bonney is probably maybe gone if they can find a taker for him. And after that... You know, where do you look? You can look at Nasri, who I think they wouldn't mind moving on, but he's on a big paycheck and he doesn't seem terribly inclined to leave. 
I think if Sevilla came in for Navas, he would go. And so I think that if Sevilla came in for Navas, they would let him go. I don't even know if that's going to happen. I know the rumors from locally have not gone away. But I think if it does happen, they would be, all right, you can go. That's fine. That's just, that's what I, that's my thinking. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if, if Guardiola would be as keen to let go of, of Navas as people think. Guardiola is a tactic guy. He's driven by tactics. Now, I know that youth is something that he's going to feel enormously comfortable with, but another thing that he values is mentorship. And if there's one thing a guy like Navas can do with Angelino and Maffeo, it's mentor them. Even if he's not been playing the position as long, he still understands tactically what's going on, and he quite literally speaks a language that they understand. And, and, and I think that there's something to be said for a guy who can be an on-the-field mentor, sort of like what we're talking about with Nolito and Aston. I don't understand why Navas, who's really kind of the ultimate team player, if you think about it, like nobody really did less and got more last year except for maybe Toure. Yeah, I think I think everything you're saying is fair, and but the, the problem is I just there's there's somebody's gonna go and it's gonna be a tough decision. Because I don't know. You can tell you can tell me. I'm just gonna put this out there. Do you see Guardiola keeping uh twenty three in the first team squad? Not even counting youth players. Yeah, I do. I, I kinda think he has to. Okay. Okay. I, yeah, I, I think I, I think that there's an evolution to Guardiola who found out at Bayern that competing on all four fronts with a limited squad proved to be an insurmountable task. Okay. Yeah, I just realized, too, that I'm not even including Denaire in this either. So um, I think that, yeah, I mean, I've made my stance clear. And, frankly, disagreement is good for a podcast. So we'll just we'll just see what happens here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, I, I do think, I do think that there will be changes, and I do think that guys will be gone. I do think that there will be offers uh, that are eventually taken just because it gets some guys off the books and maybe Guardiola ends up with one or two guys that he didn't want, but they were able to offload one or two guys that maybe he did. And in that situation... I could see Novice being one of those guys that Guardiola would prefer not to let go of, but has to to make the numbers work. And that's the situation where I could see him going. I don't think Guardiola would openly be okay with just saying, hey, he can go to go. I do think he sees value in Novice. Yeah, I think that Bonnie and Mangala and Kalarov would go before they would think about that but again I it's would gonna... trade Bonnie for a bag of balls and a ticket <laughs> to the next Batman versus Superman movie whole city step right up it's time 
He's worth a lot of money. Dude, whole city should hire, should, 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 I, I say hire. They should do that. They should put in for the transfer and make Wilford Bonney their player manager. Sounds good to me. I'm in. Let's let's make it happen. How do you um, feel about Swansea going back in for him? And I say that asking honestly. I think that it would... We had this discussion. Bonnie just doesn't fit Manchester City. That doesn't mean that he doesn't fit anywhere else. And I think that he would be okay at but a club Swansea of that But is Swansea the same? But is Swansea the same? Yeah, that, that's that a good point. That's a good point because they they are different now, and they they frankly were in the relegation battle for a few months last year, at least on the fringes of it. I don't know, um, but I think that I think that it would be sort of a sentimental thing, and they would think that well, he succeeded here before. He can be fine here. But I think they'd find a spot for him, but I'm not sure he would be as successful as before. But I think he would be more successful than he is at Manchester City. Well, that's, that's, like, that's like setting Mario Balotelli's time at Liverpool as the bar and saying, I think he can be better than that. Ouch. It's true, though. So, I think I think there might be a better fit for him than Swansea City. But I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if he went back there. Where would you put Wilfred if you could send him to a club that would help him recover from... Because as bad as he's been, neither you nor I are the type of guy who want to have a player to have a crappy career. You know, like, we're not... We're not that ill-willed. If Bonnie can go somewhere else and be a good fit, all fair to him. It's not like Bonnie never... Bonnie was a consummate professional when he was here. He just didn't work out. Um, and, and, and I'm not going to fault the guy. I'll make my jokes on Twitter, but if a guy shows up every day and genuinely busts his ass but doesn't work out, sometimes that just happens. You know, like sometimes yeah. that's that's just where you are. It's like a relationship in life. The the girl can be completely awesome. She can be everything that you want. It, the timing could just be wrong, and it's a situation that doesn't work out in life. Yeah. I think that there, it would have to be a team that could play to his strengths, which I think he's good holding up play. I think that he, you know, he's good in the box, He's just not terribly mobile, which I think sort of actually lends itself to sort of a lower-tier Premier League club that plays a more English style. I think he can succeed there, um, especially if there's some wingers that um, foil or what have you that he can hold up play for. So I think that's the sort of thing that he could fit into if they were to let him go. But Man City don't, they play more fluid than that, so I don't you know, something a bit more regimented that a lot that plays to his strengths. Would you send him to Syria? I think he'd be fine in Syria. Um, 
I don't know. Send, him, send, send him to Roma to be like Toddy's understudy. Sure. Well, he can he can learn he can learn from Eden how to, how to be a, a a proper failed Premier League striker. Hmm. That's not fair. Eden is not a failed Premier League striker. That's true. He's so, I mean Jovic is a failed Premier League striker. Let's just say that it's a really good thing that we were not podcasting when they signed Jovic because there would be a lot of quotes of me looking really stupid on the internet right now. That's probably ill-advised to let people know that you... I'm just going to be... I'm going to be honest with the world. They might as well know. I was so about that signing. I thought it would be a smash hit signing. Well, so was David Mooney, but for different reasons. <laughs> so, I'm wrong on the internet. Now you all know we've gotten that out of the way. So uh, you know, can, now you man, can, no, now I you was excited my about, opinion. I was excited about the Bonnie thing, man. Like I almost <laughs> went out and bought a Bonnie jersey. Aren't you but, glad that you held off on that? Oh my god, dude! Like I, I'm not sure how I would change that, but I would change it to something like bone or I don't know ebony. I don't <laughs> like. <clears throat> I would just I would change it to something. I would have another letter added on to that thing. That's probably wise. But, uh, yeah, no, um, I just want to touch, I mean, we, we kind of already did, but I just want to touch real quickly in a in a specified manner about um, the, the, the last bit of transfer business that City have done. So if you look at this window as a whole, as it, I, I say it's coming to an end. It's, it's sort of not, but... If City gets the Stones deal done and Sine looks like he'll be announced sometime tomorrow, you would then think that that would wrap up City's transfer business for the window. And there's just for, not a, yeah, there's not a lot of rumors behind them. Yeah, for the for the same price that United will have purchased Paul Pogba. The city will have signed Gundawan, uh, Sine, John Stones, again, Gabriel Jesus. Yes. I would rather have that foursome, to be honest with you, if that's what the question is. No, I was just pointing out that United spent $120 million, you know, pound on one player. And, and, okay, I hate, I hate being this podcast because I think invariably there, that no matter how this discussion is viewed, it's going to be seen by anyone else as city fans being salty over Pogba. But I want to close out the discussion or close out the podcast with a discussion on him, Okay. Okay, let me state this for the record before I begin my little diatribe, that I would take Pogba on my team 10 out of 10 times. 
not necessarily for the price that Juventus are asking, but understanding that the market is what it is these days and that Pogba is certainly seen as a guy who can, uh, well, basically do everything. I would take him on my team happily. I, I think he's a tremendous player. I think that yeah, I'm excited to see what he can become with France. But now we need to have a separate conversation. And that is, well, really two things. First off, is Pogba worth £120 million? Right now, at this moment in time, no. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I don't even feel that Pogba is actually worth the same amount of money as Obama gets. Like, I truly feel that if I had to pick between one of the two of them and I could build my team around them, I would take Obama Yang, who is the more proven commodity, than I would Paul Pogba. See, I, I, I understand what they're doing, which is paying for the fact that they are going to have what they consider an anchor to their midfield for the next decade. No, what they're it's, doing is they're paying for the fact that they let him go for free and you then are going yeah. to to make United. Yeah. You bet this are going to get back make, on make, United one for all those years. Make United great again. Yep. That's exactly what's happening. The art of the deal. Oh, and the second thing I want to talk about is that ridiculous ass article where homeboy called it a coup that they signed him for what, how in the hell is signing a guy you had on your team for one hundred and twenty million pound a coup? I didn't even re- I saw the headline that you're alluding to. Um, I wasn't in the mail or something else. I don't remember, but I saw it. I didn't read it because I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't go. I didn't go beyond the headline either. I. <laughs> Quite frank I, was, with you. I, I was not going to be phased into that one. Um, but there is no possible way on God's green earth that you can justify to me that United have had a coup uh, for signing Pogba at $120 well, That also million. implies to me that they're signing a player. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be like, you know, ha-ha, look at how far you've fallen. The word coup implies to me that um, they're signing a player of a greater stature than the club, which I don't think is true. Yeah. See, here's my problem with Paul Pogba. He's an enormously talented player who I think did his best work with Juventus. Now, the thing about Pogba is that it's difficult to know exactly where this kid is at because he's surrounded by immense class almost everywhere on the pitch, at least in his region. Um, but I, I, I see all the potential, but then I see the Pogba that showed up in the Champions League final then I see the Pogba that showed up against Bayern Munich. 
Then I see the Pogba that showed up for France in the Euros. And I'm thinking, where, if I'm an executive, find me a body of work that's not in a game against Saxuolo where I'm going to feel better about having just spent 120 million pounds on a guy who, for all intents and purposes, has really not so much been the reason Juventus have won the league so much as been a part of Juventus's train uh, of continued success. It not so integral as to maybe say like Alexander, uh, or excuse me, uh, not Lacazette, but uh, Antoine Griezmann. And go ahead, yes, say whatever you would like. I only have one real point to make on this because I don't disagree with anything you're saying, so I will let you. I honestly think that uh, Mkhitaryan is going to end up being their signing of the summer, not Pogba. I think that Mkhitaryan is going to be better for them this season. In what sense? In the playing well sense? In the influential sense? No, I mean, sense. but what is he going to offer? Like, what What about Mkhitaryan right now makes you think that? Is, I, I guess what think I'm asking. I just think he's more of a finished product, quite frankly. I think that he, in terms of, like, creative midfielder, I think that he is, frankly, more equipped to come in, hit the ground running, and be more of a finished product in the immediate term. Now, do I think Pogba could end up being better than him two, three, four? Absolutely. A few years down the line? Absolutely. But I think that Mkhitaryan is going to be more influential for them this season than Pogba. And you can listen to this at the end of the season and laugh at me when I'm wrong. But I'm just, that's how I feel right now. I want to ask you a question that I don't have an answer to and I've not heard a good one. Where does Pogba fit in with Mourinho's system? I don't know. He's never really had a midfielder quite like that. I you know, he's, he's had, obviously he's had plenty of creative midfielders and he has had plenty of, you know, more holding defensive, burly, Makalele midfielders, so to speak. But he's never, and obviously there aren't exactly a lot of Pogba's flying around in the world, people with that skill set, people with that profile. Um, so I'm not sure what he's going to do with the midfield of, Pogba, who is more offensively minded than defensively minded. Mkhitaryan, I think, is the same way. Um, Ander Herrera, if he's in his defense, is the same way. Which is what I'm wondering here. Are we possibly seeing signs that Jose Mourinho is giving up the ghost on his counterattacking system and moving into a style of football that Manchester United can sell to their sponsors because United sponsors have already spoken out about boring football before and Jose Mourinho had a song about here. Right. I will believe it when I see it. I think the man just wants to win and will do whatever in any particular game is the most tactically useful way to make that happen. 
I don't think that he has really changed in that regard. You know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, I'm, I'm asking because of all of the reasons you just mentioned. Oh, I understand. What about, what about the players that he has fixed his style of defensive football? Which of those guys are going to track back when it matters? And how is that going to jive with Zlatan, who, frankly, doesn't give a damn about anything? I don't know. I don't. I don't have a good answer to that either. So, it's. I. It feels to me, in a certain sense, not that they can't use him, but here's a good player. Let's go get him. And that's less about tactical anything and more about statement of intent. And if, maybe United, if United had not had Pogba under their brand at one time, do they spend $120 million this summer to go get him? I don't know that it's their brand. I think it's more the best midfielder that you will be on the market anytime soon, and they're just saying, okay, Let's do this, because I think that... Is there not more pressure because of the fact that he had once been a United player and this was a guy they let walk out for free? It doesn't help, but I don't think it's the primary motivating factor. Right. I don't think it's the motivating factor, but I think it's a factor. I think it's in the back of their minds. They know. Everyone knows that this is... there's going to be some snickering in the background, presuming they get this done. But I don't think that it's a motivating factor to say, well, we have to, you know, so it's so right this wrong, so to speak. I get you. I get you. It, it'll be curious. I, I, I will be, I will be interested to, to revisit the what are United doing conversation halfway through the season. Yeah, and I think Strictly that Mourinho from a has a psychological perspective. Seriously, I'm 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 not asking that as as an open ended hater question that a lot of people do. Like, let's circle back and check them out so we can hate on them. No, man, I'm 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 genuinely curious. Like, if this deal goes through, I think right. that at least half of United signings are good. Yeah. I think they will have had a very good summer. I I think that absolutely. But I, I do absolutely also think that Mourinho has a plan. Just not entirely sure where, you know. I, I think when it comes to a very good summer, I think that this boils back to the Rams and Jared Goff. I don't think we're going to know whether or not United gave up enough until about five to ten years from now. I don't yeah. I don't know I don't know that the summer of sixteen will be you know uh uh able to be operationalized until we see what kind of long term effect Pogba, Mictarian yep. 
and Mourinho have. Because if Mourinho comes right in, flubs up this Pogba situation, pisses off Mkhitaryan, who wants out after a year or so, like Angel Di Maria did, because that's what happened to the last creative midfielder he brought in. Uh, yeah, or that was brought into United um, under a a, a tactics oriented coach. Um, that's not to say that Jose Mourinho is Van Gaal, but he's a guy who places his system above the individual creativity of the players, and that's definitely something that's going to run into conflict with one or two of the personalities they have on that team. And more importantly, the playing styles of those personalities. Like, they're at their best when they are being created. So I'm legitimately curious. Let's see. I think the success of the transfer window will end up being tied to whether Pogba is a success or not. And that's all there is to it. If Pogba ends up sort of being a middle-of-the-road player... If he ends up even being good but not, like, elite, then I think it's a failure. Yeah. Because at at that point, they could have had Pjanic for... What, a third? A third of that price? What did Pionich end up going for? 31 and some change? 33 and some change, wouldn't it? Something like that. And then you had Gundogan, who went for 25. Right. I mean, there are some midfielders out there. You could have brought in Tony Kroos. Mm-hmm. For quite literally half. Right. Right. Which is funny well, because it's it seems weird to me that United wouldn't go and do that. Like, all right, we'll buy Cross off you so you guys can buy a Pogba. Like, let 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 Real Madrid make that mistake. Well they are I don't think they view it as a mistake. I think that they think that this is going to end up being worth it. So yeah. time will tell. All right. Time will tell. Anyway, we will be back. Wait, go ahead. We will no. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, that's that's okay. If you have nothing else to add, then I can wrap this up. Nope. We'll be back um, next day or two, probably, from the time you hear this. We're going to be uh, our regularly scheduled programming, so to speak. We'll be talking to uh, Mike Devlin about his books, plural books. Um, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. Of course, if anything else happens on the uh, transfer front, you'll be hearing from us as well. We're on Blog Talk Radio. We are on iTunes, so subscribe to us there. Follow us on Twitter at America Citizens, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N-S. Until next time, we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening, and this is American Citizens.